Waiting for the Kingdom of God. Let's talk about it on today's edition of Renew Network Podcast. Well, it's Friday and we've made it through another week and we are continuing on today in Luke's Gospel. We are in chapter 23 and we're about to conclude chapter 23 today. We're going to be studying verses 50 through 56. This is the account of Jesus' burial and uh, we get introduced to a new person in this passage and uh, we learn some interesting things about him um, that I think are a great reminder for us on our journey of faith. Uh, we also learn about some women who were watching during uh, Jesus' crucifixion who um, arrive at Jesus' grave and prepare to do some very precious things for him as a blessing, as a, as a ministry to um, him. And um, so we'll read about those things as well. And uh, I know the Lord has uh, a message in this passage for us today. All right, my friends, as we prepare to study the text, let's go before the author. Heavenly Father, we love you today. We give you thanks for another day. And we ask your blessing on it, Lord. Um, We're preparing to head into the weekend and uh, put a week of work and busyness behind us. And I pray that we would take time to um, slow down. I pray that we would take time to rest and recuperate from the busyness of the week. Maybe we'll have an opportunity to go out to dinner with some friends or we'll have an opportunity for a slow Saturday morning coffee uh, with a close dear friend or just at home uh, reading scripture or um, watching Uh, TV with the kids, whatever it might be. Um, But Lord, we give you thanks for the weekend. Uh, As we prepare to study your word today, Lord God, we ask that you would prepare our hearts to be receptive to what you want to say. Uh, Give us open ears, uh, tune our ears to the sound of your voice that we might receive the maximum benefit from your word today as we study it together. And we ask all these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. All right, this is the account of Jesus' burial. Now there was a man named Joseph, a member of the council, a good and upright man who had not consented to their decision and action. He came from the Judean town of Arimathea, and he himself was waiting for the kingdom of God. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body. Then he took it down, wrapped it in linen cloth, and placed it in a tomb cut in the rock, one in which no one had yet been laid. It was preparation day, and the Sabbath was about to begin. The women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph and saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it. Then they went home and prepared spices and perfumes, but they rested on the Sabbath in obedience to the commandment. So Luke introduces us to a man named Joseph, uh, who was a member of the religious council. Uh, Joseph was described by Luke as a good and upright man. Uh, In verse 51, uh, we are also told that he had not consented to the decision of those in the council to pursue Jesus with charges of blasphemy and ultimately a death sentence. Now, good and upright would indicate that he has a reputation uh, in that area. Uh, He's known for being good and upstanding, Uh, making good decisions, a person of good and quality character, 
uh, a person um, who is regarded as upright. In other words, if you went around town and asked people about Joseph of Arimathea, uh, you would be hard-pressed to find someone who would have anything bad to say. Um, 51 is interesting because it gives us insight into Joseph. He did not go along with the groupthink of the rest of the council. He was not swept up into the fervor of the moment. He was a thinking man. He was a godly man. He considered uh, what should be done. And uh, Luke says very clearly that he had not consented to their decision and action. Something in his spirit uh, informed him that that was not the right thing to do. Something in his spirit informed him that to do so would be a mistake. And, and he went against the tide. Uh, and it probably cost him among his peers. It probably cost him um, in terms of his reputation among the other religious leaders of the council. Um, he was taking a stand. Now, it's, it goes without saying that we might conclude that there were others like Joseph who also were thinking people. They were godly, and they considered what the Lord was telling them in their spirits. They were listening for God, and they were men of prayer, waiting to discern what they ought to do about Jesus, how they ought to respond uh, about Jesus. And uh, Joseph's determination was that they should take no action. They should do nothing of the such. And uh, he went against the tide. It says something of his strength. It says something of his character. It says something of his integrity, of his godliness, of his awareness of spiritual things. And it also says something of his commitment to Jesus, that he would be the one pursuing um, Pilate for Jesus' body at the conclusion of his crucifixion. It says something of his heart, that he would want to prepare Jesus' body for burial and make uh, space in a tomb for him. Um, we're not exactly sure if it was a tomb that belonged to Joseph. It was, If it was a tomb that belonged to Joseph or his family, and this was a tomb that was yet to be used, perhaps it was his family tomb, and uh, he had it carved out and uh, paid the craftspeople to, to do so, so that there would be a tomb for his family members when uh, they passed. Um, but it was an unused tomb, and Joseph went to Pilate, and he asked for Jesus' body, and he wrapped Jesus' body in linen cloth and placed it, we have to think, so carefully and lovingly in that cut rock tomb in which no one had yet been laid. Now, if this was Joseph's family tomb, probably speaks to the fact that Joseph was a man of means. Uh, he could provide a burial space for his family. He was a member of the religious council, and we know that these are kind of the uh, areas, high-achieving people, well-regarded in the community. And uh, Luke confirms all of those things about him. And we learn that Jesus was laid in the tomb on preparation day, which was the day before Sabbath. And um, so Joseph, amongst all of his other Sabbath, Sabbath preparations, uh, made space in his day to um, put Jesus in this tomb, Jesus' body in this tomb. The women who were present at the crucifixion and watching from a distance uh, sneaked over to the tomb along with Joseph and uh, they saw how the body was prepared and laid in the tomb, and they 
made it their ambition to go home and prepare some spices and perfumes, and they would come back after the Sabbath to um, to apply those things uh, to uh, the body as it's lying in the tomb. So uh, these are beautiful acts of kindness. These are beautiful acts of devotion, beautiful acts of um, human love toward one that they so dearly cared about. And it moves my heart to see that Joseph was moved to do this. And there was some cost here. Uh, remember, the disciples are hiding out because they're afraid at this point to be connected to Jesus. But Joseph goes boldly to Pilate and asks if he might have the body to prepare it for burial. Uh, that says that he wasn't concerned about what people thought of him. He wasn't concerned if people thought he was connected to Jesus. He didn't care what the ramifications would be. Uh, he went and he did what was on his heart to do. And he gave Jesus a proper burial that speaks to this man's heart and strength and courage. But Luke says something about Joseph in um, verse 51 that I think is profound and I think has deep connection for us. It says, he came from the Judean town of Arimathea and he himself was waiting for the kingdom of God. He was on the lookout for the Messiah. He was on the lookout for the Lord's anointed one. He was ready for the inbreaking kingdom to announce itself on the world scene. And I think that line is not in there uh, haphazardly. I think it is to say that Joseph saw in the person of Jesus the Messiah of God, the anointed one of God. And Joseph could only see that if the Holy Spirit had impressed it on his heart. And so Joseph knew that he was laying the Messiah in the tomb. Joseph knew that he was laying the Lord in the tomb. And his spiritual outlook was one of looking for the kingdom to break in at any moment. And the Christian followers after Jesus' resurrection and eventual ascension were also those who were looking for the Lord's return. They were looking with expectancy for the full inbreaking of God's kingdom at the second coming of Christ. And for the New Testament church following Jesus' ascension, uh, there was massive persecution throughout the Roman Empire against those followers of the way. The Christian movement was nicknamed the way. And if you were aligned with the way, you were subject to persecution in the Roman uh, Empire uh, because they were absolutely opposed to it because they saw it as competition uh, to Caesar's demands that people worship him as God, that he was the one and true emperor. There could be no king apart from Caesar, but the Christian movement had its allegiances to King Jesus, to their Lord and Savior. And uh, the emperors of Rome were threatened by that. And there was a secret term that Christians used who, um, in replacing their typical Jewish term of shalom, a greeting of peace, shalom, uh, brother, shalom, sister, uh, the Christians of the New Testament era had a term that they used as a greeting that reminded them to keep their eyes focused on eternal things, to keep their eyes focused on the return of the Lord. And that term was maranatha. And they would see each other and they would remind each other with encouragement through this word. They would say to each other, Maranatha, keep your eyes focused on eternal things until the Lord returns. 
And it was such a reminder and such an encouragement because they were facing such intense persecution. And I wonder, my friends, if we, like Joseph, if we, like the first century Christians, are um, waiting for the kingdom of God with expectancy. Are we waiting with expectancy for the kingdom to break in at any moment? Are we waiting with expectancy for the second coming of Christ and for the full inbreaking of God's kingdom to reign in its fullness once and for all? When we gather and worship, when we gather to meet together, when we gather to study the word, we should be gathering with that same expectancy. That should be at the baseline of our times together, that we are waiting for the kingdom to break in in its fullness, that we are waiting in the expectancy of Maranatha, just like the first century Christians. And I'm moved by this attitude of expectancy that we're told Joseph of Arimathea lived with. He was waiting for the kingdom of God. I want to ask you, are you waiting for the kingdom of God today? Are you waiting with expectancy? Do you have eyes that are open to see what God is doing in our world? Do you have a spirit of expectancy within your heart? Do you live every day expecting that Jesus might come back today? (laughs) And how would that change our living? How would that change our outlook? How would that change our attitude if we live with that spirit of expectancy, waiting for the kingdom of God? My friends, today I can tell you that I'm waiting for the kingdom of God and my heart is full of expectancy and I hope yours is too. Maranatha, my friends, may we wait with expectancy for Jesus to come back for his church. God bless you, my friends. Thank you so much for studying with me today. I love you and I care about you and I pray for you, my friends. And I pray that these words would continue to resonate in your heart today as you consider them before the Lord. God bless.